Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the June episode of the Delicious Podcast with me, Jilly Smith. This month we're prepping meatballs with prisoners and foraging with super cool chef Tommy Banks. We've got the life-changing story of an English wine producer, and Susie Atkins gives us a crib sheet on the best English sparkling wines. Plus, we get a slice of life from Britain's best home-cooked judge, Dan Doherty, and find out how the food team get their ideas for all those recipes in Delicious Magazine. But first, editor of Delicious Magazine, Karen Barnes, tells us what's flaming in the June issue. We have some wonderful things coming up in the June issue. Uh, One is a particularly um, thought-provoking feature which is all about food waste because we still, do you know how much food we throw away in this country? Terrifying amount. 20% of the food is thrown away Mm -hmm. and it's such a shocking statistic and I think a lot of people do spend time thinking about how to minimise that and I know in my own household we try not to buy those bargain things that suck you in because inevitably you end up throwing half of it away Um, but beyond that is it possible to go a whole week without producing any food waste at all that was the challenge that we set a family we were just seeing it as a a bit of an extended challenge the things that you would normally think like the limp lettuce in the bottom of a salad drawer you might have one little gem left or something like that could you do something with it? Yeah. And in, in this instance, our, um, our writer has done exactly that. She's made a little stir-fry yeah. with it and leftover meat, using it in creative ways. But then things like her children leaving porridge in a bowl, making it into some kind of pancake thing the next day, mm-hmm. stuff that How you wouldn't necessarily yeah. think about. What a great idea. Lots of ideas and lots of broader ideas as well for saving food waste and um, just having a wise approach to how you buy and cook. Mm. So it's a thought-provoking one. Hashtag zero waste. Hashtag zero waste. (laughs) And uh, as you know, delicious we do, as well as having so many great recipes all thoroughly tested in the kitchen, we do always like to have features that make you think and the waste one is one of them but another this month is about taste Uh, if i taste something like asparagus or lemon are you having the same Mm. experience of that flavor as i am the answer is in many instances no because we are all wired completely differently and all the experiences that we have in our early childhood it hardwires wires our brain to appreciate taste in a different way and it's fascinating because it means that there is no right and wrong Mm. and I think it's very easy to be snobbish about taste yes 
Um, but it's it's so much broader than that. I mean, I didn't know that some people can't smell truffle. Yeah. But apparently they can't. And uh, so that's just one of the things covered, and it's a fascinating mm, article. Fantastic. Can't wait to read it. Favourite recipe? If I had to pick one, it would be the Negroni cheesecake. Ooh. It's a, an orangey cheesecake with a hazelnut, a baked hazelnut biscuit base. And then uh, on the top, a layer of Negroni yeah. cocktail jelly. That's just one of three cocktail cheesecakes in the issue. So I would say they're surefire crowd pleasers. Now, as food lovers, we all know the power of a good dish to change your life. But at Pentonville in North London, it's turning prisoners into street food chefs. Delicious editor Karen Barnes has been involved with the social enterprise Liberty Kitchen since it began. And she introduced me to Janet Boston, founder of the initiative. We met on a Sunday morning at London's Maltby Street Market, where she and ex-offenders sell their prison-made meatball range, Ball No Chain. Janet told me about the idea. What we do is we have a a 12-week programme, three-month programme, where we work with the guys each morning on um, meatball production and different elements. And then we also have masterclasses in the afternoons. So Drew Baker, 2010 MasterChef winner, has been in. Um, Guy Schulberg of Trafflements has been in. Um, and then we also have a business component. So they leave, when they leave, they've, most of them will have also got an MVQ in enterprise. So if they want to start their own enterprise, they can do that. If they want to come in with us, they can do that. At the moment, we haven't had enough people out to know um, how many will want to. Only two of the first scheme have come out. Janet took me to see the prisoners in action at the staff mess at Pentonville, where chef Sebastian Lorre was overseeing the meatball production for the week's street markets. This is smoked beef with grilled peppers, grilled red peppers that we grill ourselves, tundried tomatoes, fresh basil, and um, some breadcrumbs, golden breadcrumbs that we serve with a roasted tomato and roasted pepper sauce. We roast all the ingredients, all the vegetables, for in the oven until it's nice and charred and then we blend it, finishing it with a little bit of extra virgin olive oil and fresh basil with a barbade de pasta. And the governor himself, Dean Gardner, was tucking into a plate of meatballs. I'm going to go for the vegetarian meatballs this time. They're the most tasty ones that I've come across out of being asked to test and regulate. I asked him why he felt the scheme was so important. I think it's fairly simple, really, because the prison service's our aim is to reduce reoffending, protect the public and prevent another victim when a prisoner is released. Now, clearly, there are a number of things we need to do to make that happen. One is about making sure that the men we look after have somewhere to live, but equally importantly is that they have some sort of skill that they can take from custody into the, the real world, which is a, a skill that's transferable and actually keeps uh, out and reduces a, a potential victim for the future. When a, a man gets released, it's not just about him, whatever business he goes into, whether it's on himself, work, it will involve working with others, whether that's a customer, whether that's adhering to deadlines, uh, performing to his, his ability when he can, and actually this just prepares them to do that in a, a, a more formal environment, ready to do it on their own when they get outside. Stefan was due to leave prison that very week and I asked him what skills he'd picked up from the course to take into his new life. 
Um, the correct handling and the preparation and safely, hygienically, and you have the certificates to prove it as well. It's not just you're taught to do something, you're certificated as well. So, you know. But it's not just the certificates and it's not just the skills. Yeah, my, most of these guys, and including myself, we're, we're not used to working as part of a team and, and, and things like that. And here, we were. We, are, we rely on each other yeah. as team members, so... Yeah. What's the first thing you're going to cook for your friends and family? Maybe a meatball. Yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a pro when it comes to a meatball, so yeah. 38-year-old ex-offender Danny has been out of prison since December and has weathered the winter, working with Janet at Liberty Kitchen in Primrose Hill Street Market. Yeah, but we've been out in very cold conditions, but it's um, character building. <laughs> it's, not, it's not for the faint-hearted. Yeah. Why do you think that it works in the way that other things haven't worked? My mindset, basically, my mindset, um, the company I, I was keeping. When you're around people that are positive, that want, want you to start training, want you to start going on courses, want you to start working, um, that's, a, that's a whole, that's a different kind of conversation that you're having on your day-to-day -day basis. So that's what helps you, ground you, keeps you positive. And yeah, it's not really easy. We're not making thousands of pounds each week, but it gives you something to say, look, well, I can live with this. This can help me move on forward and you can make your plans. Little realistic goals. Short goals, but realistic. You reach them and you, you gain more confidence. So that's the answer I'm thinking. Yes. Liberty Kitchens. No balls, no chain. <laughs> Now, in last week's podcast, we heard how Dan Doherty has become the latest chef to join Mary Berry on TV in Britain's Best Home Cook. And in the podcast version of the magazine Slice of My Life, he gives us a glimpse into the mind of the man. I asked him about his first food memory. So my earliest food memory, I think, was making shortbread with my mum. And that's not a romantic thing like, oh, I got into cooking when I was four years old. It wasn't the case at all. It was just a case of, I remember she had an old tattoo recipe book. And I always wanted, I always wanted to eat cake. I wanted to make cake, but, and you know there was these elaborate chocolate hedgehogs and, and whatever. I mean, it was really old school. And we never had any of the ingredients. But the one thing she couldn't not let me do was make shortbread because we always had flour, butter, and sugar. So we'd make shortbread, and I actually liked. I mean, I like shortbread, but it's not like one of my favourite things. But I kind of, I just remember that. Um, and like I said, that's absolutely not like I first got into food when I was at my mother's knee. It wasn't the case at all. Just being greedy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first foodie influence. So when I, I moved to London when I was 16 to do a scholarship with the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts, and that was based in Bournemouth, where you did a year's worth of education in three months at Bournemouth, and then you moved to London for a year to do in a Michelin-star restaurant or that kind of level, and you repeated that. Three times and when we first got to Bournemouth there was a guy called David Boland who's only just re recently retired and he he was very stern very knowledgeable but a wonderful wonderful kind-hearted man and he was a huge influence he, you know silly things obviously he was a brilliant chef and taught us how to cook but he also just it was a discipline you know not 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 caring you go to you go to work in London for a year and you'd be in a Michelin star restaurant so you'd use a serrated knife to cut your onion because it was a bit easier or whatever and you'd go back and he's like no you use your chef's knife to cut onion. you use your serrated knife to cut bread and all of these things and, and, and once uh, he always taught us to be 15 minutes early you must always be 15 minutes early and obviously second year it can play soon so we've done three months at college we've done a year at work and then back the, the next three months halfway through we turned up at 10-2 for a lesson instead of 15 and he was like wait outside and we were like what and he came out and he's like go on go on. and just sent us home for the rest of the day and we were petrified like petrified of getting of annoying him 
disappointing him, but also getting kicked off this course because it was quite, it felt prestigious, you know, and it was prestigious. There's only 28 people that got on this course and it was a brilliant way to get into the industry and, and that just, you know, I've never been late since, I don't think. <laughs> Fantastic. Foodie legacy. So when you've got lots of kids and they've got lots of kids, what's the one dish that you want your grandchild to say? Grandpa Dan, I remember his. <laughs> well, I want, when I'm 70 and I've got four kids and maybe a grandkid or whatever, I want, they're going to do whatever you want during the week, but always, I just want them to come home for a Sunday roast. And I just want that tradition. I love a Sunday roast. I have it, I have it every week. It annoys my girlfriend and even in summer I'd have it, but she's like, God, we've just had one last week, you know, can't we do it every two weeks? Or two? But um, I love, I love the food of a Sunday roast, but I love what it represents and it, you know, that's my nostalgia as well, is having a Sunday roast, having people over, whether that's Christmas dinner or just a Sunday in, you know, whatever, October. But, um, yeah, I love it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tommy Banks is one of Britain's most exciting and self-taught young chefs, who first found fame on the Great British Menu in 2016. Now 29, he's just written his first book and teamed up with Le Creuset's new gorgeous Nature's Kitchen campaign to show what he and it is really all about. Before he told me about the book, Roots, he took me foraging for my Michelin-starred lunch in the woods around his restaurant, The Black Swan in Yorkshire. I like um, pineapple mayweed because... It has a pineapple sort of flavour, yet it grows as a weed in the garden everywhere. Another one we use a lot is hogweed, um, which has an amazing sort of cardamom flavour. Mm. So there's a lot of sort of spices and almost quite exotic flavours which you can get from from wild herbs. Things like woodruff that has that tastes kind of like tonka beans and vanilla. So there's lots of things like that. So I think it is fascinating. Gorse though does have a coconut flavour, also does taste a bit like fish. <laughs> and how did you learn all of this then, Tommy? Who taught you? Uh, we just made it up as we went along, really. Uh, with a couple of guys in the kitchen are really keen at it as well, and we just go out and try things and dry them and cook with them and see what they taste like. There's a lot of chefs doing that. There's a lot of them going out with their team to forage, and it's a nice way of bonding, going for a walk, but also looking at nature's lardo, isn't it, to inspire you in a different kind of way of cooking. 
Yeah, well, it's, de- it's definitely nicer than being in the kitchen peeling spuds, isn't it? Being out in the outside. <laughs> At 23, Tommy was Britain's youngest Michelin star chef. In his new book, Roots, he describes why he thinks it was premature. We went a mission site at Black Swan, and I was cooking food which was borrowed from other people's cookbooks. And the, the thing was, and I felt fraudulent, I think that's a way of putting it, like yeah. people were lauding me with, oh, it's Mission Star Chef, and people are so keen to give you praise when you win accolades and things. But I didn't really feel like I was doing anything particularly special, and I wanted to do something more original. And I think when you, as I said, when we're out foraging, you get this um, much more of a connection with nature. And, like, you know, when we're going out this morning, a lot of the guys in the kitchen were like, oh, just check if there's any of this, check if there's any of that, because you, you're looking and, oh, the sun's out today, that's going to move forward this season, and maybe we're going to get some of the produce that we need to do some of the dishes. So it's so much more tangible, I think that's the way to put it. Yeah, and you're almost self-sufficient. In the summer, you're pretty much 100%, yeah? Yeah, I think I think in, in the summer it's much easier to be as well because you just literally take in the, the produce from the land. That's why in the in my book the, it's called Time of Abundance because really it is abundant. Um, and it's, it, the scale to become totally self-sufficient in a scale of a restaurant like this would be really difficult. You need a lot of staff. but on the main things and the things which we really care about, definitely. Yeah, and it's late April now and you're just about to plant these fabulous tomatoes and you grow things from the seedlings. We're at the end of what you call the hungry gap. Yeah, it's a challenging time of year actually because like I say, we're in the polytunnel now and there's just so many seedlings, tiny tomato plants, little sprouts and nasturtiums, lovely things, but nothing's actually really ready to eat. So frustratingly, even though the sun's out, it's shining, the birds are singing, it's beautiful, we haven't actually got any food yet. Mm. That's why we call it the hunger gap. Mm. But that's why we've been out foraging today. There's lots of little seasonal gems, a wild garlic we've picked. Um, you know, things like the spruce and fir trees, which are really good things to use. And there's, there's a carpet of wood sorrel all over the woods, which was which was yeah. beautiful as well. So then you've just got to use what you've got, but it's a very challenging time of year for a chef because all you want to do is cook nice, light, fresh dishes in the sunshine, but this is the time that the plants need to grow. I asked him about that relationship with Le Creuset. I have a lot of nostalgia with Le Creuset. Like my, uh, my mum always had the Le Creuset pots, my grandma, and I think, you almost can. I can think of the Sunday lunch that my grandma used to cook. She would always braise lamb in the big Le Creuset cast iron pot. And then we would have it with peas and mint. And we'd have the peas in the garden, this massive bush of apple mint out in the garden, which we'd get. And she would she would cook a, boil up her potatoes with that as well. Yeah. And, and actually, all those smells of peas and mint is very fresh, very down with nature, but very, very nostalgic to me. And that was always what I remember from being in the Creuset pot. Yeah. But also, it's it's not just when you slow cooking those pots. It's the it's the bit round the outside. You know, it's not just the soft tender meat. It's the bit that's caught on the outside and becomes slightly crispy. Yeah. And, and there is there's so many feelings that that evokes. Yeah, and it makes me think that all this stuff that we're talking about, you know, self sufficiency, sustainability, local produce, you know, really minimising your carbon footprint. It feels like it's futuristic. It feels like it's saving the planet, but it, it really is granny skills, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, well, it's traditional, really, isn't mm. it? I suppose. I mean, these are skills that we'd have had before we had refrigeration, mm. for example, or air freight. You know, mm. we wouldn't be bringing. Th- we wouldn't would have the convenience, so we'd have to find interesting ways of doing things, and. And actually, the thing I find with people when I talk to them about it, people love the idea of having a kitchen full of kilner jars. Yeah. If you had a kitchen full of beautiful pots and kilner jars, they feel like, like it's quite aspirational. So how has that become, having pickled things has suddenly become aspirational, but I can see it. Imagine you have a kitchen that's stocked with beautiful pots and pans and jars, and like people want that. And from a culinary perspective as well, 
nostalgia is the thing that drives everything forward. We all, when we think of food that we really want to eat, it always has a nostalgic um, thought behind it. You think of something you had as a child, you enjoyed eating. It doesn't even have to be childhood, I suppose. It's a, mem- a food memory. And that's the amazing thing that food evokes in you that other things don't is that you can remember how something tasted or the temperature of it, how it made you feel, and you can long to have it again. And that's what's brilliant about food. Now, we do love to find the stories behind the produce at Delicious, and right now our regional judges are scouring the land for the Delicious Award winners of 2018. And very often those stories involve giving up the day job to start from scratch on something completely new. Sarah Driver's husband, Mark, was a hedge fund manager in London when, eight years ago at the age of 46, he told her about his vision of owning a vineyard in Sussex called Rathfinney. It's been a complete change of life and one that I didn't exactly expect when my husband said he was going to give up work. And I thought he'd say, oh, in three or five years. Um, And I said, when? This was October. And he said, I'm stopping at Christmas. I nearly died. Uh, For any women listening with husbands, they can probably appreciate why. And your family was young then? Yes, yes. uh, We've got four children and I think at that stage they must have been between sort of 10 and 17. And that took us on this path, which we bought the land in 2010. Uh, Originally, I wasn't going to be as involved in the business as I am. But uh, I'm a lawyer by training, so we always say Mark is vision and I'm detail. Um, And we're sitting here looking at, we're we're bathing in the solar gain of this glass-backed house, um, perched on Cradle Hill. Uh, If we really strain, we could probably just about see the sea. Sussex is really becoming a big name in in English wines now, isn't it? Yes. It's where I would say the best grapes come from. And we're all about producing the best Sussex sparkling wine. But you're creating a whole experience for people who also want to stay here. Yes. Visiting a winery is about an experience. And so that's my side of the business, which is dealing with... um, all the clients so we have a cellar door we have a um our tasting room we've got the flint barns where you can come and stay and the English public is voracious um, in their quest for understanding about um, wine and vines and there's a growing wine tourism market um, particularly in Sussex absolutely Um, I mean we've already had people from mainland China from Scandinavia walking up the drive and I truly believe that Sussex will become like the uh, garden route in Cape Town like Margaret River in Perth and that people will come and stay and the knock-on effects for the economy um, are huge and we've already seen it we have them um, for example Sunday lunches not every Sunday at the Flint Barns and they sell out in two hours um, we had uh, pop-up uh, chefs come here and do events last year we had seven and again they sold out in a matter of hours there's a real thirst for knowledge which is great happily Sarah's story has a rather happy ending or at least an exciting new beginning, as delicious wine editor Susie Atkins told me. I was lucky enough to go to the Rathfinney launch a couple of weeks ago, uh, which was, everyone in wine was there, it was the place to be. Uh, Great speculation about how these wines were going to be, so, you know, it was good that the wines were good, frankly, because it would have been falling flat on their face if it hadn't been. They showed two new releases, this is Rathfinney spent eight years in the conception and the growing of the vines and the producing the, the, the fizz. So there was Blanc de Blanc, which means it's made from 100% Chardonnay, and they're particularly proud of their Chardonnay grown on chalk soils. So you'll know about the yeah. chalky soils there. That was exquisite. It's going to be released onto the market, uh, the off-trade. In other words, you can buy it and take it home only in June. 
Um, but we're all looking forward to that. Meanwhile, the Savoy are serving it by the glass mm-hmm. with their teas. Uh, and it's really creamy and with tiny, tiny bubbles like satin and just beautifully rich but dry and fresh. The rosé is in a very dry style. It's deliberately got less dosage, which is when they add a little bit of sugar at the end. Mm. This is very much elegant and restrained uh, and quite dry. It was a shade too dry for me, but just a shade. It's a very, very lovely wine with raspberry and strawberry. I think I marginally preferred the Blanc de Blanc, but they're very good wines. We were at Fortnum Mason's to taste their English sparklings and for Susie to give me a bit of a zero to hero lesson on what to look for as their reputation grows. So the, the Fortnum Mason English sparkling is from Camel Valley in Cornwall. It's, it's the Fortnum Mason's own label English sparkling wine and it's a non-vintage, which means it's a blend from different years, but it's a younger style of wine. You know the Camel Valley one, don't yes, you? Yes, well, I'm, I'm lucky enough to live in the southwest, and we have very good vineyards there too, very mm-hmm. good wineries in Devon and Cornwall and Dorset. So Camel Valley is near Bodmin, uh, quite near the sea. Sometimes I think I can taste, maybe I'm being fanciful, a slight salinity in the wines. They've just been given a royal warrant, which is, you know, really exciting for an English winery. So Camel Valley is now by royal appointment. Um, And they make the the, the classic Method Champenoise, so long bottle aged, um, not like Prosecco, which is made quickly in Mm -hmm. tanks. This is Champagne Method uh, from the classic Champagne grapes, so Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Meunier. So do you okay. want to give this one yes, a go? Please. So let's have a... So you're swirling it around. Yep. And you're putting you're doing that to put the air in. I'm, I'm aerating it, but I'm also whooshing the aroma up into the air. Oh. So if you swirl a wine, I mean, one time you're tasting wine, try the wine when it's still, smell it, mm-hmm. and then swirl it, and then go back in for another sniff, and you will get ten times as much perfume. But yes, you're also aerating it, softening it slightly. So big sniff or series of small sniffs. And you're bringing more air in through mm. that sort of sucky thing that you're doing there. Yes, kind of sloshing <laughs> air across thing. the top of it. Doesn't sound very nice, I know, but that's what I'm doing. Again, aerating it, getting it, um, all the aromas come up to sort of the back of your palate where it meets the kind of olfactory senses as well. And then sloshing it round the mouth so that the, all the bits of your mouth pick up all the different attributes and characteristics of the wine. And with these English sparklers from our cool climate, I'm looking for what Bob Lindo of Camel Valley calls the magical acidity mm-hmm. of English wine because we are cool climate and we get this gorgeous freshness and that is a really crisp wine. But then on the finish, some richness there. Not sweet, but a richness that speaks of a wine that has sat on its yeast sediment for months and months, years. Um, to give it a kind of rich, toasty, biscuitiness. So complexity that you would never find in, say, a Prosecco. Prosecco is perfectly nice stuff, but you won't get the complexity. This is Champagne Method sparkling wine. So the Lava Stoke Park is a vintage wine, with, and it's eight years old. It's 2010, all from that one year, makes it a vintage. Mm-hmm. So there is some maturity, which also softens and makes it taste richer. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I'm noticing immediately is it's much yellower. This is definitely quite a dark gold colour, beautiful. They're both kind of straw gold, but this one is a richer colour. Let's right. give this one a swirl. Ooh. Ooh, oh, it smells... Very okay, so, so in the wine world, we would say that smells fatter, okay. riper, a bit richer. Okay. But what, what I'm smelling there is a lot of the yeast action on it. It's really... The first wine smelt as if it was going to taste crisp and refreshing. Mm. Uh, this smells, yeah, broader, riper, richer. But this, to me, interestingly, of the two is the food wine. This is the one I want to match with food more. The Camel Valley is the one I want to have as an aperitif more. This wine, can you taste it? On the finish, you're left with a very long flavour of sort of tea biscuits and fudge, although it's dry. 
vanilla, butterscotch, all sorts of things that speak of richness. And I mm. think if you, we were having seafood with a mm-hmm. creamy white wine sauce or even chicken in a, in a kind of buttery mm. sauce, mm. that's going to marry beautifully with that. Whereas the Camel Valley, I would have as an aperitif and maybe with a very plain piece of white fish or seafood oysters mm. acting like a squeeze of lemon. This is a, a, a wine with richer flavours to take on richer food. And finally, I caught up with delicious food editor Jen Bedlow in the test kitchen. As we look through the flat plan for the June magazine, I asked her how the team got their ideas. Well, it could be something just in the newspapers. It could just be a line about, you know, somebody's eat, eating something, a classic, a quiche, or um, something from heritage that we think we could do a modern spin on. Um, it could be, we've got, actually in this June issue, we've got a, a lovely feature on sustainable fish. And again, that's been in the news. We know what we... We don't actually always know what we should be eating because it just changed. Mm. Um, but we have an expert on the magazine called CJ Jackson who every month writes in Test Kitchen about what we should be looking out for. And it's a brilliant um, standby to have. So if you're looking for a short order recipe, fish is often overlooked actually. Yeah. You should get down to the fishmonger and see what they've got. This is um, Arctic char, which you don't see very often in the fishmongers, but when you do, you should really give it a try. It's a great alternative to trout, like farmed rainbow trout. Um, a much cheaper alternative to salmon, but can be served in quite a similar way. So you can buy a lovely fillet and serve it. We here, it's with a classic hollandaise with a bit of a, a twist. We've put some mushrooms and tarragon through it, um, and we've got some gorgeous crispy lemony potatoes alongside. And that is popped in the oven for about 15 minutes. Hardly takes any time at all. Mm. Plenty of noily prat or a white, good white wine sloshed over the top, and lots of butter. And hey presto, you have this amazing-looking seaside feast. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast. We've got more stories, interviews and insights from the world of food every week. So make sure you subscribe on your podcast app, which, if you haven't already found it, comes as standard on most phones. And I'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.